0: You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Asbury, this morning, our responsive reading reminds me that everything that we do as people of worship together in this corporate setting is part of God's transforming us and changing us. The words from our executive cabinet that came to campus yesterday and the words from Dr. Brown, they inform us how the black community is mourning. If, if, if you're detached from that, then that news to us gives us something to be invited into together. Our study in Ephesians this semester contributes to God's call to be people who practice empathy and to be people who are living out a change that models Christ in a world that is in darkness, in a world that is desperate to see who Jesus is. I wanna share about September 19th, 2001 and tell you a story about when I flew to Seattle on that day and landed there for my second date with my wife. And at that point, she was Jennifer Becker. But here's a story of us on a date just a week ago because I didn't dig back 19 years to find a picture. But you kind of look at this picture and you're like, why is Greg not wearing the mask? We should have had Jen unmasked. You know, beauty should come out on the screen instead of my face dominating the screen. So we were at Texas Roadhouse, squeezing in a little date night last weekend. On September 19th, it was our second date, my first time ever to Seattle because she and I had met in Waco, Texas six weeks before that. And we talked on the phone every day after that until I flew to see her. She was with a friend at the airport waiting for me. She said, "Um, Greg, I I brought Stacia with me because I wanted to make sure I remembered what you looked like. Um, We couldn't meet at the gate, which had been very common until that point because the world had just changed four days before on September the 11th. And my ticket to go see Jen for our second date was on September 15th. Since it was my first time in Seattle, we went to the Space Needle. And uh, if you've ever been to the Space Needle, there's this huge area around it known as the Seattle Center. There's ice skating, there's park space, uh, there's a ton of just like common community life space. And so there's this big water fountain there, and it became this central spot for the city of Seattle to mourn with the entire nation. There were flower arrangements that surrounded this water fountain. You would walk around it, there were pictures of people who had died in New York, people who had died in Washington, DC, or in a field in Pennsylvania. Disaster had struck on the East Coast And every city in our country was grieving together. It was the most unique collective grief that i had ever stepped into walking around that water fountain. And the days that were following September 11th, 2001, they were the last time I experienced the world upside down until 2020. A rogue set of terrorists had attacked us from the outside and brought our country to its knees, and our country came together and stood together. The racial division and the political division in our country in 2020 has involved attack from within, and our culture is grasping for an ability to stand together to find any way in which to join together. What is our Christian witness and the witness of the church when there is a cloud of division under which we live? Does Jesus give us a way to stand together in a culture that would have no other way to grasp it unless Jesus showed up and modeled it for us. Let me come back to where this story started. In the middle of this massive grief that I was witnessing at the base of the Space Needle, I stood next to Jen on our second date. And in a world that was grieving because 20 jihadist, took the lives of 3,000 innocent people in a country of 300 million people. I stood next to a really cute girl that I was liking. And I was wondering if I could navigate love well with one person. And so one year later, we were married we chose to stand together in the middle of a world that was fragile and that was volatile, and we committed our lives together. On our wedding day, we had three scriptures that were read in our ceremony. Jen would probably say since I was a pastor, we needed three scriptures in our wedding ceremony. So one of those passages was from Ephesians 5. Because this passage speaks clearly about wives and husbands loving one another. And so today we'll look at this next to last chapter in the book of Ephesians. And if you would stand together while we read this scripture. In Ephesians 5, I'm gonna start with verses one and two, and I'm gonna jump a little bit in reading this passage. Imitate God therefore in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Verses 21 and 22. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her. Verse 33. Each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Verse 4 and 5. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Verse 9 Masters, treat your slaves in the same mutual submission. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master. In heaven, and he has no favorites. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. So, these words in Ephesians 5, they center and they pivot around one key verse. Those words in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And reading Dr. Suzanne Nicholson's words on Ephesians in the Wesley one-volume commentary, we're reminded that Paul and the early church were situated in a Greco-Roman world. And in this world, the male held all the power over wife and wife over children, over slaves. It was the male who held the power, was given the power by society, and that was affirmed. And it was against this backdrop that Paul writes the words, submit yourselves one to another. Husbands to wives, wives to husbands, children to parents, Slaves to masters and masters to slaves. The structures in this Greco-Roman world were vertical. They were very hierarchical. And so Paul's words to followers of Jesus, they were countercultural. They were inviting them into modeling a different life. I know... Friday Chapel, this is your second in-person chapel for the Ephesians series. But as Jeannie reminded us, uh, we're, we're five messages in, and we'll do a little more uh, tying in this overview to what Ephesians 5 is speaking to us. The first three chapters of this book of Ephesians are packed with theology about who we're called to be in Christ. And the second half, verses four through six, chapters four through six, they're about practice. How do you live out who you are in Christ? What does it look like in your body? What does it look like for the church to be a mature church in a dark world? This book speaks to it. Dr. Brian Shelton started us there a week and a half ago in Ephesians 1. Jeannie talked about the move from chaos to conquerors that he spoke to. Theologically, it's movement from darkness to light. And so when you place this kind of movement in Ephesians chapter 5, when it comes to relationships, it means movement from violence, from domination, from force to mutual submission for followers of Jesus, to mutually submit to one another. Jeannie brought the message to us from Ephesians 2 a week ago right here. I know it may feel like a month to you already, but it was seven days ago. So reflect back with me. Jesus came to be our peace. He has the power to reconcile groups of people who have established walls between them. Walls that are built up by the kinds of things written on these boxes on each side of the stage. Walls like fear, pride, lack of vulnerability. And so when you go back to the the theology of Ephesians 2, That the power of the cross empowers us to love God and to love each other. Those are the words and you bring it into Ephesians 5 and another practical way of living it out. That living in a posture of mutual submission is possible because of the power of the cross. That you can actually lay down having your own way because Jesus laid his down for you. That you can actually yield your opinions and yield your power to be in control because Jesus yielded his life so that you can have life. You can actually give up power without giving up your identity because Jesus gave up his power that your identity might be redeemed. The stamp of that came out in Ephesians 3 when Dr. Baldwin preached a couple of days ago. Our essential and deepest identity belongs to God. And that means that we can practice and put this into being by not needing to control certain relationships because your identity is not defined by the relationship. Your identity is defined by who you are in Christ Jesus. So we can step into mutual submission because of who we are in Christ. Reverend Jodhav, just a couple of days ago, in Ephesians 4, the second half of this book is putting into practice who we are. Living in a manner worthy of our calling, and it means exemplifying gentleness, humility, and bearing with each other in love. These are the characteristics that are in harmony as the ingredients of mutual submission. And so we come to this large spread of Scripture where we are today in Ephesians 5. In the first 20 verses, listen how clearly this theme of your heavenly calling continues to come out in Paul's words. That you have been made to dwell with Christ in the heavenly realms and then on earth, live it out in this way. Follow God's example. Be imitators of God and walk in the way of love. You come down to verse eight. Live as children of the light. Even though you were once darkness, you once lived with violence, you once lived in domination, you once lived Owning your own destiny, now you are called to live as children of light. Verse 15, live not as unwise, but as wise. Live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And Paul, he's building to this pinnacle of walking as a disciple Of Jesus. Because what you believe is to be lived out in relationships. We embody loving like Jesus would love, and we do this in places like marriage, in relationships that children have with parents, that you have with mom and a dad. We do this in places like where we work, in relationships that employees have with bosses and that bosses have with employees. So we most often turn to Ephesians 5 as this marriage passage, which is fair. My most intense invitation to live in mutual submission is with my wife who I stood next to on that second date underneath the space needle. And I wondered if I could commit to loving her well. And what I wondered there built as we dated and as we engaged and as we took a covenant together on our wedding day. And as I stand 18 years into our marriage still seeking to live into this invitation in Ephesians 5 There were dozens of relationships before I met Jen that shaped that shaped me for what mutual submission was about Most of you in this room are not married, but you are in relationships and if you have that desire stirring in your heart, the relationships that you are in now are shaping how you will live in mutual submission. The word that sparks these different feelings in us, submit. To be under command or order. If you look at this compound Greek word that comes to us in verse 21. You would would get this understanding. Our attitude is to be deliberately set to put others before ourselves. Mutual submission. Philippians 2.4 gives us another way to hear it. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility... Consider others better than yourselves. So Paul's teaching for Christians to live in unity was to place their relationship under the command of Jesus. Out of your reverence for Jesus and his crucifixion and his resurrection, out of your reverence for him, live this way. Aristotle had given household codes in the Fourth century BC, that instructed males how to rule their household. And Paul's words of mutual submission were radically countercultural. He calls for gentleness with children, he calls and instructs husbands to not rule over their wives, but to love them sacrificially. What submission is not? Submission is not acquiescence. Submission is not passively giving up. Submission is not being taken advantage of. It's not compromising your moral values and it is not compromising truth. I will say that it is often Compromising your own expectations, your own preferences, your own idiosyncrasies. Submission is not codependency, it is interdependency that, as followers of Jesus and the church that Jesus is forming, we submit together to Jesus' way of doing life. Mutual submission and accountability are intertwined. John Wesley said that Christians need mutual accountability to spur them to holiness. In the 18th century language, Wesley said, the gospel of Christ knows of no religion but social, no holiness, but social holiness. This means that religion cannot be limited to this individual, private, inward piety that's just between me and God. If it is limited to that, it is not Christianity. The simple translation is that following Jesus happens in community. It does not happen in isolation. And Wesley was very suspicious of the individual pursuit of holiness. For him, the holy life was out of reach without loving Christian accountability. That we are walking with other men, that we are walking with other women, that we are walking together as God's people. We are made holy and mutual submission. What does mutuality look like in relationships that are outside these Ephesian five instructions for Christian households? I'll share this story as we move toward the end. Judge Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, passed away last week. About four years ago, Judge Anthony Scalia passed away. Everyone knows that Judge Ginsburg represents this liberal side of the court. Judge Scalia, prior to his death, was the leading conservative on the court. And they had a friendship that many took notice of. Many stories can be told about that friendship. Judge Scalia was with one friend not long before he passed away. While he was with that friend, Judge Scalia was on the phone calling to order two dozen roses to be sent to Judge Ginsburg on her birthday. And his friend said, I don't even send two dozen roses to my wife on her birthday. He said, Why? are you sending her roses? She's never sided with you on a 5-4 vote before. And Judge Scalia said, some things are more important than a vote. As the band prepares to close us, if you can grasp what Judge Scalia embodied, some things are more important than a vote. Then I I think you have a taste of mutual submission. It has nothing to do with winning, being right, or getting your way. It's about something much more important. The desire to be holy is shaped by submission, because submission is the life that Jesus modeled for us in his relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. The path toward greatness in the kingdom is by becoming a servant to the least. In John 13, when Jesus took up the towel and the basin, mutual submission was so countercultural in the first century that you know and you remember what Peter did when Jesus offered to wash his feet. He said, no, you can never do that. The words of Jesus in Matthew 20, whoever wants to become great among you must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many.